I hit rock bottom and dragged myself across rock bottom for years. I'm Anthony. And I'm Tyson. We're Recovering Addicts. This is a podcast about journeys from the darkness of addiction to the sunlight of sobriety. There is hope. There, there is sunshine. There, there, you, can, you can do it. And you can literally get through that and change the course of your life in a very positive way and give it all up. Alcoholism with massive drug abuse. Uh, Sobriety gets to be like a buzz. This is the Dismantled Life Podcast. Episode one, dragged over the rocks at the bottom. I was drunk every Friday, Saturday, then every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And since eighth grade, I am now nearly 50. That's what I knew. That's what I fucking grew up with. Having grown up with alcoholism, you know, in the family and grown up firsthand with a, 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 an alcoholic father and my father's passed on. So I'm not going to talk any shit about him, of course. And, and this isn't about that. It, um, I, you know, it took me a very long time to come back to terms to love my father again. And it is really strange for me to say that because I, I've always loved him. But for a long time, I was very, very angry at him for lots of other reasons. But one of the things that is not my father's fault, he was um, a soldier, a Marine in Vietnam. He was a Silver Star winner, and he brought a lot of the war home with him, like many did. You know, he buried the pain. He was tragically injured and shot and had some disabilities as a result of that. And was in a lot of pain, could barely walk, like teeth-clinching pain most of the time. And, you know... it, it I was a selfish prick, right? I, I thought growing up, everything was about me. And, and I, it took me a long time to realize or come to terms that, you know, my father had his own shit going on too. When I say rampage fucking drinking, dude, you wake up in the morning getting ready for school and your father opens up a cabinet and literally slams an entire fucking bottle of brandy from, from cap turn to bottoms up, bro, like gone. And so grew up with that shit, you know, and he would, you know, I would spend a lot of time dealing with, how do I describe it? Like being the son of an alcoholic, you learn to put out fires or fix situations. Cover up. Cover up. Right? Like, yeah. cover up. Like, I could tell what kind of fucking day I was going to have based on how he answered the phone or the first word out of his mouth in the morning. I could tell what kind of day I was going to have. It was crazy. Absolutely crazy. Drunk for days, brother. This is a hardcore soldier. Tough as fucking shit. And one of the, in fact, the toughest guy I've ever known in my life. And everybody says that about their father, but this is no fucking joke. And, you know, and at the time, I, I unfortunately hated him for it. It sounds like I'm whining and, and I get it. I'm, I'm actually nervous and shaking because I'm speaking out of turn about him and he doesn't deserve that. But that's, that's the reality, man. And it was a bitch. And I fucking chased myself right into the fucking bottle and didn't even know I was doing it. It's crazy. So this is cathartic as hell for me, but it's also really scary and nerve wracking because I know people are going to hear this and be fucking pissed as shit about it. Very angry with me from, yeah. I'm, you know, airing secrets, so to speak, but I'm not going to talk shit. Because he doesn't deserve that. But, you know, growing up where you see your father drunk all day, every day, you know, it, it was weird. In fact, if he was sober, it would throw me off. But he was a loving, charming, wonderful man. And, you know, we'll get into the stories another time. But 
he had two sides and the one side was you know the loving charming embracing family man who was pure and soulful and wonderful and then he had a drunk ass miserable fucking side and it's okay and you know people that know him they could say the what are you talking about but they fucking know and the the thing that was crazy is my alcoholic tendencies were quite the opposite i could drink literally for two days fucking straight and not say an angry word for two days people loved having me around and that that was my death sentence that's a huge point like the crossing i call that crossing of the wires yeah exactly it's funny like i didn't hit the skids so to speak and i'll define that but like i drank and had fun smile on my face life of the party the bubbles in the champagne kind of thing all the way past college i mean even uh years after college still fun thought i had it under control and then it turned into this find reasons any reason i was happy i was sad like and it it got to the point, man, and like it turned into some dark, ugly alcoholism with massive drug abuse. Uh, that like I would take certain routes home from certain places because I knew they had bathrooms with like a one hole bathroom I could lock the door and and literally slam like five keys a blow in the morning. Wow, in yeah. the morning on the way to the fucking train. Yeah, that's yeah, that's I mean that's uh, a pretty big level most addicts go about their day where there's this secret identity and that is your ugly insides and and i can say that because i you know um, i've been clean for two years and i know how ugly i became i mean and i live my life making up excuses to get shit faced and i mean i wouldn't even i would sit in my garage by myself with three packs of cigarettes, an eight ball, and a case of beer, and a bottle of whiskey. Tell them more, dude. Rampage drinking and listening to music as loud as I could on my headphones. That's where I ended up, man. And, and I, my moment, and I almost died. You know, I was about 12, 11 days in the hospital. The doctors came in and said, you know, I, I really hope you've got your life in order, life insurance, financials, etc., because you're not going to make it. Like, you're not going to fucking make it. I had an infection that was so bad that, and I had two surgeries. I almost lost my arm because they they would have had to amputate. I happen to have one of the best surgeons you could imagine to save not only no amputation at all, but save my hand. The only thing I have is a finger that doesn't bend. One finger. Um, And yeah, 11 days in the hospital. And haven't had a cigarette, a bump, or a drink since. It's been two years, about three days ago. Everyone's journey is their journey. I mean, for some people, a day is a lifetime with, it, with this stuff. And it is in the beginning for all of us, I think, right? Yeah, like, I mean, it is. And I, and I think, and this is what I, I'm hoping that, you know, this podcast can help people with is to understand that there is hope. There, there is sunshine. There, there, you can, you can do it, man. You can literally get through that and change the course of your life in a very positive way and give it all up. You don't have to drink. You don't have to smoke. You, you, you can give up the blow and, and whatever else it is you're doing and be better for it, man. Like it's a, it's a, it's fucking hard, but you can fucking do it, man. When you let go of it, that whole thing, you think that you're going to like lose, there's nothing. You don't lose anything except all the bad stuff. Sobriety gets to be like a buzz, right? When you yeah. get like kind of, <laughs> it's yeah. obviously an addict going to like frame it that way. But like 
wow, what a thrill to wake up in the morning and not be like shameful or wondering actually how shameful I needed to be the first 30 days. And you start to go, whoa. And I called it sober momentum. Get this momentum where it's like, it's not. And then it's what's fascinating about it. It's like each day, it was almost like every week I felt like I unleashed a layer of clarity, kind of new access to to peace of mind or something that I was like, holy shit, this is cool, man. This is like, this is way better than like any buzz I could get off of like, you know, a few margaritas. The, the thing that I always, uh, that I, that I realize now that I didn't then, and by then, I mean, when I was in the middle of all that shit is this, who I am now is who I really am. I have spent my life covering up my real identity with alcohol, nicotine, and drugs my real identity was buried so deeply that I, I literally forgot who the fuck I was like, and I, I created this idea of myself, but I didn't know. I only knew what that meant after a couple of shots or a couple of whatever it was. Sobriety, you start to kind of just like you described that sober momentum. Now this is who I really am. And, and I love who I am. I'm, I'm a geek. I'm a dork. You know, I'm in Dungeons and Dragons and gummy bears with my kids and ice cream runs the Dairy Queen and fun shit like that and hanging out with my wife and enjoying company, just watching stupid movies and normal stuff instead of putting in front of you this identity of who you think you should be fueled by alcohol and drugs. And it, the, the one thing that I always find amazing is when you're in the middle of it, you think the people you're doing it with at the time are your close friends, your dear friends, the people who are ride or, ride or die with you. And let me tell you, let me just jump ahead. One out of a thousand of those people give a fuck about you. Like, I mean, and yeah, remember they, you they, they or even remember you. Fuck you are. They just know that you're going to buy the next round or you're going to buy the next bag or whatever the fuck it is you're going to do. And they don't give two shits otherwise. All they knew is I always had blow. <laughs> yeah. The, the core theme to all of this that I figured out that it ended up unlocking it for me. And I think whether you call it, you know, identity or, or whatever you want to call it, your relationship with yourself, you eventually realize that the addiction is a super, is born of your ego. And it's this super, like everything you were just talking about, you were, you were covering up the true self, the true Anthony, and you had this ego to which the ego is like all about fear and judgment and identity and and you know all of the things that addiction a lot of times like brings uh, us towards and like so you start to do that and I found it by way of I had to go around the back door so to speak through <laughs> using some uh, through some ceremonious psychedelic plant medicine rituals and things like that that helped me actually see it though I, it helped me get outside of that ego based thing that you're talking about where it was like really identified and it was, you know, the next drink and the next thing. And it's like an inability to just be yourself, right? Like you couldn't just be your, the real, you weren't the Anthony that could go be doing what you just said, the Dungeons and Dragons, the, the ice cream, you're watching movies with your friends, doing what the fuck you want to do. I remember having anxiety. I remember going out on, you know, nights where I didn't want to go out. Yeah, I, I would, I, I, you know, there were times where I had no interest in going out, but I knew if I didn't, that my body couldn't take it. So I, I wasn't quite at the level of, you know, shaking without drinking kind of 
were physical incapacity, you know, being incapacitated right. physically. But there were moments of like I could feel my my body kind of dipping into this depression almost, or my mind, if you will, and I would start drinking to snap out of it, or I, at least I thought I was snapping out of it, but I I, I was just drunk and hiding it, right, and. Then I would go out and I would go out by myself. I did not give a shit. I didn't need anybody with me at all. I would have as much fun by myself as, as I would with a crew. In fact, most of the time I would go up on myself. That's a big tell. I actually think we should mark that as a commonality is like, how much do you go out by yourself? Because like, I used to go out so much by myself, particularly towards the end of my run when I was living it, like really hitting the Manhattan scene hard. I went on some legendary vendors on my own in Manhattan, like where, and, and I loved it, man, at the time. But when I really figured it all out was when I understood that that being that like that drunk guy, me was this illusion and figured out like kind of how it was manipulating me. Once I started to be able to kind of identify what it was doing to me and how it was like hijacking my basically my legacy, my, my self-worth at the end of the day, meaning that like, I, it really clicked with me that it was stealing from me. Right. And when that clicked, I've always had something, maybe it's my greed, maybe it's my competitive spirit or something, but I feel, I really realized how much alcohol had stolen and was stealing and how it could only inevitably steal from my self-worth, right? I think self-love is a great term as well. And you have to learn to love all aspects of yourself, even the the so-called worst moments. That's a big thing when you figure out a way to reflect on your alleged worst moments that that you, you're the hardest on yourself for and look at that person, that version of yourself and 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 point love at that version as well. That that's interesting. That unlocks a whole new level. But there's this, there's just something very interesting how this is all just a self-worth or self-love game, which is basically yeah, the, uh, an interchangeable it, it, term. It's funny because it, it was it's I don't know if it's fuel I don't know if, if I would say it was fueled by self-loathing because that seems like such a buzzword. But I, I for me it was a slow, mellow, and by mellow I mean gradual. You didn't even feel it happening at the time, and and all of a sudden instead of two drinks, you needed four drinks, and everyone's got this. A similar story, I would think. Same with cigarettes, same with blow, where all of a sudden I needed a bottle of vodka, a six-pack of beer. I, I could literally slam a whole fifth of fucking vodka and, and not even, not even, nobody could be, you wouldn't know that I was drunk. I remember sitting in uh, this house that I lived in at the time, there was an outdoor porch, screened-in porch, and if it was a super late night for me, and by late night, I mean like eight in the morning, nine in the morning, the kids were walking to school past the house. But I would sit down on the floor in on this porch with blow, a bottle of vodka, no mixers, no nothing, and rampage drink until I just couldn't physically handle it anymore and either pass the fuck out or people would come by and continue partying with me. Wow. Up. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty it's, intense. It's in, in, it was the fucking norm. Every weekend from eighth grade to that level of intense addiction. The one thing that's always intriguing to me is how normal I started out. Uh, and by normal, I mean, in, I take full ownership of my addictions. It, 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 the me. first domino to fall for me is always a drink, one drink, one cocktail. Next thing you know, I've had three or four drinks. 
let's just have one cigarette. It'll be fine. And then next thing you know, I'm half a bottle of vodka deep, six pack in, one pack of cigarettes down, and I'm calling my drug dealer. You kind of make choices that put you in a position to become an addict. You train yourself to be an addict. You just keep pushing the envelope. Two more beers, four more beers, and you need more and more to hit that drunk level or coked up level or whatever that level is. Yes. And the same is true for the sobriety. Like you can train yourself the other way completely and almost use your addiction against itself is the way I like to frame it in my mind. And I have no medical way to describe that except that I became addicted at being sober. I hit rock bottom and dragged myself across rock bottom for years, years. And that's when I was, you know, the weekend alcoholic and I look forward to the weekend and all that other bullshit, right? And, and it was just purely booze. As soon as I added cocaine, it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, rampage drinking. And then maybe Monday off, maybe. And then it went Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And when I, and I mean like very little sleep each night, dude. Um, uh, even if I wasn't yeah. a shit ton of blow, which was rarely the case. Um, it's fucking, it was crazy. And so when I say dragged across rock bottom, when I added cocaine, I, I stayed at the bottom and bounced off the rocks for a few years. Um, cause looking at anyone's, you know, textbook definition of an addict, I, I fit the profile perfectly. And people could say, Oh, I only drink on the weekends, but yeah. I mean, if you, if you drink three bottles of wine on a Friday, you probably should take a hard look at yourself, you know, <laughs> like, fuck. Um, So what I mean is I slowly graduated from eighth grade all the way up to what I just described where I was coked up and drunk for days and days and days. So I've been two years clean for everything. So, and I hit Coke pretty hard for about seven years um, towards the end there. So I dragged myself across the bottom real hard for, yeah, a good seven years and it got progressively worse and, then my moment, that one moment, like I talked about before, was getting that infection. And I, you know, I felt like I, I'm like, my fucking finger's killing me. And my wife's like, you're just being a pussy because, you know, you're hungover. You, you know, you're acting like you're making something up so I don't yell at you because you're hungover again kind of thing. Um, and I'm like, no, it, this, it fucking really hurts. And it got so bad that I, my throbbing and I'm like, finally, a day and a half later, I'm like, I, listen, I have to go to the hospital. Um, but, it, and then again, my wife went to a baby shower and then showed a picture of my hand to a friend's mother who happened to be a nurse and said, Hey, um, you see that little stripe going up his arm? He's going to, if it hits his heart, he's going to be dead. Like go home right fucking now wow. and take his dumb ass to the fucking hospital. So I'm like, okay, fine. She comes home and I go to, it's the ER doctor. They come in and they take my blood pressure and temperature. The doctor kicked the door in like John Wayne style. He's like, uh, we're admitting you right now. And I'm like, I said, I'm like, hold on. I mean, you got the wrong guy. I, I, I've got something in my finger, you know, like, what are you talking? I thought I like had like a shot of glass in there or I like, a, I somehow jammed my finger real bad or something like that. He's like, no, no, no. And he, my blood pressure was ridiculous. So far off the fucking charts that the doctor's like, do you smoke? I said, I do. He's like, 
you know, do you want us to call you, you want to go in the ambulance? Cause I was at like a, like a sister hospital to the primary hospital, if you will. And I said, no, I, cause there were, you know, I saw just my wife will come and get, we'll, I'll go over there. He's like, do not smoke a fucking cigarette. You will stroke the fuck out. You'll be, you'll die. A couple of friends came to see me, you know, um, and that's the other part. Like nobody gives a fuck that, that you know, that you're on your deathbed, right. your children are at home. And I did this to myself. This is my fault. A hundred percent my fucking fault, you know, because you know, snort and blow and doing all that stupid shit and putting yourself in really bad positions to make horrible choices. And that's what happens, right? You get a fucking infection and you damn near die, but you don't know it. And you had the infection for weeks and you didn't know it because you're just always in a state of hangover or some kind of physical trauma because you're literally, your body is just purging alcohol and Coke and nicotine and all that other crap. I think that's a huge highlight right there too that you said of like you're always in a state of a hangover recovery, right? And that's such a big, the reason I call that out is in that cycle, the opposite of sober momentum, basically in the addiction uh, cycle, you're constantly running on fumes and you're actually constantly at the lowest level of the hierarchy of needs, essentially just trying to survive, right? It becomes this weird norm where if I had blow left over, which wasn't often, but sometimes I would hide some. So I'd have some in the morning to start my day to give me that little stupid jump start. So I'm, you know, I'm in the 11 days and a couple of friends came to see me, which I, I love them dearly for. Um, and those are some of the friends that I would booze with and hang out with and stuff, but they, they came to see me and I'll never forget it, man, because very few people did, man. All those thousands of people you spend all your time with boozing, partying, hanging out with pictures, Facebook, this all bullshit. You got to boil it down to the real motherfuckers who come and spend time with you in your need, your time of need that, you know, I was broken. I was, I was on my fucking deathbed and I damn near died. I mean, it was as close as you can get. The doctor fully assumed I was not going to fucking make it um, and told me so. Um, made it out, made it out. And my wife was there all day, every day. And I could barely, there was, I remember there was a circle that you can go outside as a patient and, you know, walk around, but it was in the hospital, but it was outdoors. You know what I mean? So I would walk it any chance I get, because I was yeah. hooked up to four IVs, 24 hours a day for 11 days. So I, and I can only go outside when they unhooked me. So um, I went outside and I would walk and I could only walk without breathe gasping for I could maybe make it about maybe 15 minutes 15 minutes you know this is two fucking years ago dude I, I, I promised myself that I'm going to own this I'm I'm not going to blame anybody uh, this is entirely my fault I decided I'm going to own it I'm going to make it better I'm going to take this gift that I have this opportunity to make it out alive and do it right and I haven't had a drop a toot or a cigarette in two years. I work out every single day. I'm in pretty good shape for a 50 year old guy. Tony Robbins says it best and I'm going to get the quote wrong probably, but so on there, one of the, one of the guests, one of his guests at the seminar was talking about one of the issues she had and long story short, he kind of unraveled it in a discussion with her and said, like, if you blame him for all of your failures, you also have to blame him for all of your success. I did the same thing. I blamed everybody else for where the fuck I was in my life. And 
I buried myself in drugs and alcohol. And I remember Tony Robbins saying in a snap was how fucking convenient, you know, you get to, you can't just blame someone for the bad stuff and take all the credit for the good stuff on your own. It's all or fucking nothing. And that hit me and has become like my personal fucking mantra, like own your shit. Don't be a little bitch. Don't hide behind alcohol. Don't embrace it. Just look at the ugliness that you created in the mirror, accept it, own it, and then have the fucking balls to change it. And that moment for me was everything that, 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 the hospital spurred it and you have to make choices. Even after that, I could have very easily gone back to who I was every day, but that moment, that, that reason why gave me fucking everything, man. And, and I have to give credit to Tony Robbins here too. We've never met, never talked to him, but that statement, you know, how fucking convenient, like it, I think at every day I drank to create who I wanted to be as I, so I didn't like who I was sober. Like I struggled with that, it, but I was still fun and polite and cordial and f pleasant, but I, the alcohol and the drugs gave me this cloak, uh, always kind of like, I like to call myself like the alcoholic maitre d' almost. And I brought that and I did that. And I could sit there and talk to anybody about anything, anytime. I'm, what started happening is I started being embarrassed of my truth, I guess, in, in where I would, what, what, oh, what, did you drink last night? No. Um, and, but I wasn't like ashamed of it, but I just realized that how could I explain that I drank a 12 pack, a bottle of whiskey, three packs of cigarettes and half of an eight ball. Like how the fuck do you tell normal people that? Like, it, it, you know, so you I started kind of hiding my truth and my truth was rampaging addiction at very deep, dark levels, but I was so good at it that nobody, well, I shouldn't say nobody knew people probably knew, but they didn't say anything or they, cause they liked that version of me maybe, or they didn't give a, f who knows, whatever. It was my shit. I was a fat, sweaty bastard who was always hungover, drinking or doing blow and hiding who I was not only from myself, but from my wife and my kids. And for me, man, like, oh, I've got to work late tonight. And I would just sit in my office or in the garage and rampage it. It was a slow descent into fucking hell fueled by, you know, drugs and alcohol. And, and for me, I, I knew what I was doing. I could see it happening. I just didn't have the balls to stop it. I didn't have the courage I thought myself a failure. I, you know, I was struggling in lots of different ways and the, the, I was not a good father. I was not a good husband. I was not a good friend. I was, I was, I was in bad motherfucking shape, man. You know, landing in the hospital that day in my rock bottom, I was sober. I was hung over, but I was sober on my rock, my rockest bottom. I needed to be fucking sober. And I believe I, so I started this conversation with my father, father, whom I do not blame for any of my own actions to be clear. But I do have to say that my father passed away. It's been quite a few years now, but I do believe that it was my father from heaven who kicked the shit out of me and landed me in the hospital. So to speak as an angel and said, look, you dumb motherfucker. If I don't do this to you now, you're going to be dead in six fucking months. Because the doctor said, if you didn't come in with this infection when you did, you would probably have been dead within two weeks to four weeks. Like straight up legit dead. Wow. I was it, it 100% my fault in coming to terms with that for real is I am 100% responsible for the fix. And the fix is 
just letting the ugliness go and embracing the ugliness at the same time. Like be fucking okay with who the fuck you are. Yes, you are an ugly motherfucker and the inside and the outside and go fuck yourself, prick. You don't deserve anything more than anybody else. So embrace and own who the fuck you are. Just give up the fucking booze and all the other crutches you have built into your shit. And when I did that and owned it and was okay with it and the way I appreciation without expectation of myself, I could let it all go. You still have to judge yourself. You have to take, I guess maybe you have to take ownership of your flaws. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you have to you hold yourself accountable. It's still a fucking fight, man. Right. I still have to focus on being clean and sober. Um, and it's a, it's you fix. Sure. I fixed myself by degrees. And, and so I had, just like you described that moment, when I sent to the when I was when I went to the hospital, was my dad from heaven kicking my ass like you stupid prick? You're gonna kill yourself. Your kids need you. Your wife needs you. Don't be an asshole. And gave me that, and I love him for it. Um, and then when I got out of the hospital, I would take walks every morning for miles, like two, three, four, five mile walks by myself before anyone got up. And one, this was soon after I got out of the hospital. I kept pushing and pushing and pushing to get in good shape and I needed to do something because I was screaming for drugs and alcohol, right? I mean, your body, even though I got my why, I still needed to focus on doing it, staying clean. And I'd take these walks and it was a rainy morning. I'll never forget. And I'm like, how am I going to fucking do this, man? Like my impulse is to do all that nasty shit. I don't have the strength. I started, I broke down. Like I was losing it, bawling in the street, if you can imagine. And the sky is like a little tiny part of the clouds opened up and sunlight came down and hit me in my face. Like people could say whatever the fuck they want. They can think whatever the fuck they want. But that was my father and my family in heaven giving me a little hug just to say, you're going to make it. And, um, wow, that's amazing, man. That's, uh, you know what they call that moment when, uh, the epiphany, right, is when the hero chooses self-love, though, is actually the definition. I looked that up early, and I was like, that is an interesting thing on a timeline for any hero is like when it doesn't mean that you got it or anything like that, but it's this sort of glimmer, this, this sort of turning there of saying, you know what, like you're choosing hope, you're choosing love over fear what? at that point. Like I'm assuming that was, it was that kind of like a turning point for you there. In my heart, in yeah. my mind, in my soul, in, in me. I put all that nasty luggage the fuck down and I could, like you said, you had that moment, like you ju- I just felt lighter and freer than I ever had in my life and it's never gone away since and thank God I'm crying because it's overwhelming, but holy shit. Thank you for joining us for Dismantled Life, episode one. Please join us next week where Tyson tells his story from the darkness into the sunlight in episode two. And then the week after that, we have Bob Esch, our very first outside guest, which we're very excited to have. Check us out at dismantled.life and subscribe to the Dismantled Life podcast anywhere you find your podcasts. Thank you.